know what I mean. Yeah. Good morning. Oh, so good to see you guys. I am aware some people are out of town, and since this is a Mennonite church, I know more are still coming. But if you can, you know what I mean. Anyway, if you can do me a favor and ignore this, whatever's happening in my throat. But also, if you can put away all that stuff that's bothering you, I assure you it's not that important. Let's stand together and sing to the God of creation because he deserves it. The first song we're singing is actually a hymn, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's Blessed Assurance, and since it's so familiar to some of you, you can actually focus on the words you're singing. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You 
alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship Thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To You alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship Thee. I love You more than gold or silver, only You can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver Lord, prepare me 
to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. Father God, I thank you for this group of people that's here. Father, I thank you for those that are traveling and who weren't able to come today. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together, that you would be glorified, Lord. Father, I pray that this time would truly be about you, for your glory, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And before you sit down, there are people, you might not even know all of them. They could probably use a good morning and a handshake. Good morning. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And that's from Acts 8.36. And uh, I'm excited. This is one of my absolute favorite sections of scripture to speak about. That's uh, the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza. But, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to recognize something first. Um, we had a wonderful conversation during church council and elders about, or, and I have with the elders about uh, communion and how we don't do it regularly enough and we don't do it uh, heartfully enough, if that's an actual term. If not, I just coined one. Uh, we don't put a lot of thought into it, which is not appropriate, really. Um, so I think it would be a mistake to not mention that today is actually World, Com World Communion Sunday, where all these churches around the world are taking communion. And I think that we should celebrate that, and we should honor that. But we're actually going to be taking communion next week, because uh, there's an old tradition, and it's well-founded, 
of taking the week before you take communion to make sure that your heart and your mind is right. And I'll give you some scriptural background for why that's important. And then I'm going to get back to Philip and, and uh, the fellow, the Ethiopian eunuch. But uh, from 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 34. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat the bread without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and the number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning in regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, and when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Now, the last bit of that didn't have as much to do with it as the rest. But Scripture tells us to be mindful of the way we take communion. So we are taking communion next Sunday together as a congregation. But throughout this week, I want you to be sure, and I will as well because I am a human being, and I work with 12-year-olds, so I know there'll be a lot of frustrating moments through the week, just post-facto. It, it's how it goes. And some of you work with animals, and animals never do what you want them to do, ever. There will be frustrating moments this week. But um, if you can take the time to make sure that your heart and your mind are focused on God, when we come together next week to take communion, which is in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us. And it's also something that we do corporately together in harmony, like the way the church is supposed to function. So it's something that we do corporately to worship God. So if we can take this week to prepare ourselves to uh, take communion. Now, the whole world is taking communion today. Not the whole world, but many churches throughout the world. And that is an amazing thing. And next year, we will do it with them I wasn't reading the calendar. It came up when someone thought we had already missed it. But it's already on the calendar for next year. So um, next year we'll be on time with the rest of the congregations taking it to the, today. But I think that we should still be in prayer for those groups and still take a moment to realize how wonderful it is that there is a bigger body of believers outside of Valley View Mennonite Church and outside of Ohio Conference and outside of the United States. And it's kind of exciting to think about that there are actually more Mennonites in uh, the Hispanic-speaking world and in uh, the African nations than there are in the United States. It's kind of fun. I always think of uh, Mennonites as being Dutch. Because as my great-grandmother, I think the only Dutch person in my family used to say, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. No, I'm kidding. Um, but many of you are Dutch uh, by descent and Mennonite by birth and cradle Mennonite or whatever other terms that we use. And all those are wonderful things. You can celebrate your heritage and your lineage and the culture. You can celebrate all of it because it's worth knowing. It's worth remembering. What also is worth remembering, though, is this greater body of Christ that doesn't look like us, doesn't think like us, may not behave like us, because they're in a different culture. And the interesting thing about the love of Jesus and the redemption of Jesus is it transcends cultures, and it transcends all these things that we don't do. Anyhow, just thought I would say that. So definitely be in prayer about next week. And now I'm coming back <laughs> to Acts 8. I absolutely love this account. And I think I'm going to just read the account all together. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south on the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of the treasury of Candic, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. 
This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azentus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is an amazing account of evangelism for many reasons. Now, we remember that the Jews just left Jerusalem, the Jewish church, because the church was almost all completely Jewish at this point or completely Jewish. And they were converting to this teaching of Jesus. They were seeing Jesus as the Messiah. And then Stephen, Stephen, sorry. <clears throat> I took a class where the professor always said Stephen with a really hard PH. And I just can't seem to stop. Stephen, as I've said it my entire life, um, is stoned. He's the first martyr. And they all scatter. And Philip goes to uh, Samaria, which is where the Samaritans live, and nobody likes the Samaritans in Jewish culture, but there they are. And Philip is preaching the word of God. And Philip is led by the Spirit just to walk along a road, and he sees a guy in a chariot reading scripture. Now, the interesting thing about this guy is he's Ethiopian. I used to have an Ethiopian roommate, and I'll tell you, his complexion was a little darker than mine. Or a lot darker than mine. Ethiopian people are the stereotypical African people. They look African. I'm not trying to get too caught up in race, but I will say he looked different than Philip. I'm sure of it. He's also a eunuch, which means that he is not accepted into Jewish culture as far as going into corporate worship because he's not a complete person by Old Testament standards. He is not Jewish for sure. I also find it interesting. He's in a chariot, so he's rich. You can tell that if someone goes riding by in a chariot, they're rich. People don't own chariots. So he's part of this royal tradition or this royal group of Candic, or as some translations say, Candice. I like Candice better, but this one says Candic. Anyway, not important. Same lady. So Philip, walking alongside a chariot, or running alongside a chariot, as the case may be, hears him reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. He owns the book of Isaiah. Most people couldn't afford these things. He apparently cared enough about God that he had spent the money, borrowed whatever, the book of Isaiah. This would have been incredibly costly. Papyrus was really expensive. For the materials just to write the book of Mark, if we translated or if we uh, figured it out in uh, modern currency, just to write the book of Mark on papyrus back in the day when it was penned would have cost about $2,000. It's not a small investment. But he apparently cares enough about this God that he is trying to learn about him. And of course, he's reading Isaiah, which if 
Isaiah can be a little confusing. Even now, on this side of the cross, sometimes Isaiah can be a little confusing. And he says something incredible. Philip runs up and asks, do you understand what you're reading? I love that question because I shy away from rich people a little bit. And I know I've brought that up before. They're not bad. I just am uncomfortable. It's outside of my comfort zone. So I, would I, if I heard someone reading the Bible out loud sitting in their Lexus, I probably am not going to come up and say, do you understand what you're reading? I'm probably going to look the other way and walk past. But he runs right up and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says something absolutely beautiful that is incredibly true of all people. How can I know unless someone explains it to me? I think anyone who is starting to read scripture for the first time is going to have that thought. How could I ever understand this unless someone explains it to me? Something else interesting happens there is he takes the time to explain it. He doesn't say, hey, let's go find my rabbi. And he'll, he'll tell you what this means. Why don't you come with me to synagogue on Saturday? And someone will explain. He takes the time to explain what he knows. Do you think Philip probably knows all there is to know about Scripture? I don't. I think Philip was a believer. There's Scripture that tells us that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak in the appropriate times. And I believe that's exactly what happened. Not because Philip was an outstanding scholar or an outstanding evangelist. Philip was obedient. And that's something that all of us can be, is obedient. And he explains to him who Isaiah is talking about. How Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Like a lamb before the shearer was silent. You remember when Jesus was on trial for his life. He said nothing in his own defense. He said nothing. And perhaps my very favorite part of this entire account is as they're going along, the eunuch says, here is water. What is to prevent my being baptized? I can actually think of some things that might have been going through Philip's head. Well, you're not Jewish. Up to this point, all the Christians seem to be Jewish. Right? He could have been thinking that. He could have been thinking, well, you're a eunuch. And I know what Deuteronomy told me. Or he could have been thinking a slew of other reasons why someone might not be able to be baptized. But then, and I'm not sure if this is how his mind works or not. This is just how my mind works. That's not written in scripture. I'm spitballing here. So please take it for what it's worth. But then he remembers that this incredible gift of Jesus was supposed to be for everyone. And he baptizes him immediately. Again, he didn't call someone else to come baptize him. He didn't take a class. Philip isn't ordained in baptism ministry. He baptized him. And why? Because he's a believer. I think a lot of times when we are... Uh, talking to people about our faith, which is a little awkward sometimes because you don't want to overshare, which is kind of silly. If you have the opportunity to say something, say something. If it's clearly not the opportunity to say it, maybe you wait. But I'm a firm believer that ministry happens in relationship Evangelism happens in relationships. If you don't care about them, they don't care what you're saying. Nine times out of ten. If you don't genuinely care about the people you're talking to, they couldn't care less about what you're saying. 
I went to college with a, a nice lady. Actually, no. She wasn't very friendly at all, but she was a Christian. And she was really quick to point out that she was a Christian when people were doing things. She'd walk by people sitting outside having a cigarette, and they'd offer her one, and she'd be like, no, I'm a Christian, which is a great thing to say, right? Not that my grandfather smoked, and he was a Christian. Anyway, but she would say, no, I'm a Christian. That part didn't bother me. It's when she would pick up her cross, look at it, and then scowl at them. That bothered me. Not because the woman was bad, but apparently she thought she was pretty good. Um, I like, uh, okay, time to admit things. I like old horror films. I don't watch them much anymore. You know, garbage in, garbage out. So I, I don't really put that in my mind anymore. I used to love them, though. And I had a Night of the Living Dead shirt. It's a fantastic movie if you've never seen it. It has no spiritual value, a lot of cultural relevance, though, when it was made. You know, you can see the issues in society within this silly, stupid little zombie movie shot in Pennsylvania, right? Don't watch it. I'm telling you the whole point. Um, you don't need to watch that film. Anyway, um, but I used to love it. So I'm wearing a uh, Night of the Living Dead shirt. And she asked me about it. And I'm like, oh, it's a great movie. And then I started telling her about all this cultural stuff that overlaps. It kind of shows like what was going on with the civil rights movement, all this stuff. It's brilliant. And she just looks at me and then looks at her cross and then looks at me and goes, I'm a Christian. And I said, great. So am I. She said, well, I would never watch that filth. And I said, that's fantastic. I do. <laughs> Was she right? Maybe. I don't know. Like I said, garbage in, garbage out. That little Sunday school song, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See, it's completely true. I've actually made it a point to cut most of that stuff out of my vision in life as I go on because I want to fix my mind on higher things. I want to take in things that are glorifying to God, right? God brought me to that. The Holy Spirit convicted me of that. That lady with the cross and the scowl, oh, she did not bring me to that. That was not evangelism. That wasn't even proper correction. That was just noticing, I have a necklace and you're bad. What does that do for someone? You can judge me about my cinema taste, by the way. I don't mind. I don't mind a bit, actually. I'm trying to think of any movie, though. Anything that I waste two to three hours on that where at the end I'm like, wow, that was a good use of my time. Can anyone think of any movie that you've ever seen? Now, somebody's going to be like, well, The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, it was a great movie. Some of it was weird, but it was a great movie. There's great movies. There's movies that are actually spiritually uplifting, too. I'm, it's entertainment. That's all it is. End of the day, it's entertainment. We find our, our, our morals and our values and our meaning from, from God through Scripture. But I don't think that if I just stand there with my Bible using it as a rule book and go, wrong, wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and I'm right. You're going to drive far more people away from Jesus than you will ever get to think about him in a positive way. However, if you take the time to know somebody, and someone's like, gee, Luke, why are you watching something like that? And you're actually my friend, and you care about my spirituality, and you care about my walk with Christ, and you're like, hey, should you really be doing that? I'm actually going to care what you just said. So you've already gotten past that first like wall of defense because I actually care about your opinion now. And then I have to decide, well, are you right? My good friend Sue has caused me to lose more sleep than any other human being alive, and I've told her that to her face. So don't worry, I'm not talking behind her back. Also, there's a live stream. She might watch this. My friend Sue has caused me to lose more sleep than probably any other human being alive. 
And it's been kind of nice, to be honest. Because she will say things, have a Bible verse to back it up, and then bring it to my attention because she cares about me. She cares about how I'm representing Christ to people. Right? So she's already gotten through all my walls of defenses. Then all I have to do is wrestle with it and see if she's right. And you know what? Sometimes she is. A lot of the time she is. Sometimes she's wrong. Or maybe not wrong. Or maybe I don't share the same conviction as her. But I'm still very thankful that she takes the time to do that. But until she was my friend, I would not have cared what she had to say. And the same is true of me. If I come up to you and we've only spoken a couple of times and I'm like, hey, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. They're going to say, thank you. And then they're not going to hear me. That's the best case scenario is they're going to say, thank you. The reality is they're probably going to say, only God can judge me. Aren't Christians not supposed to judge? Something like that. You've heard it, I assume. Christians aren't supposed to judge. In reality, we are supposed to discern right and wrong. We're supposed to judge righteously. That looks very different than holding a rule book and telling people that they're wrong. Judging righteously is like, wow, that's wrong. I'm not going to be a part of that. I want to honor God today. That would be a poor choice. That's judging righteously. Pulling my brother or sister aside and being like, hey, I can see you're struggling in this area. They might not even know. That's judging righteously. Just be like, hey, I'm worried about you. It's very different than, hey, I'm right and you're wrong. I don't know. That might be my insecurity, too, a little bit, because it's very hard for me just to be like, you're wrong and I'm right. I've done so much wrong that it would feel so unnatural to try to claim that moral high ground. Apart from the grace of God, I am a mess. With the grace of God, I am a redeemable mess. That's what I've got. I've got the grace of God. It's that same grace he extends to you. It's the same grace he extended to an Ethiopian eunuch, someone who truly was not able to be part of the kingdom of God before Christ. Even though he went to Jerusalem to worship, there was a place he could do that, but it wasn't inside the temple. He loved God, but he wasn't able, no matter how much he wanted to, he would not have been allowed to be Jewish. And it has nothing to do with the color of his skin, had to do with who he was. He was a eunuch. He was not complete. Jesus has this amazing way of taking damaged people and redeeming us into something incredibly useful. I don't know anyone that's not damaged. I know people that are really good at pretending they're not, but I don't know anyone that isn't damaged. I might not know how, they're damaged, and sometimes it's none of my business. But I know in Matthew, when Jesus tells you, tells me, tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Something really important to that is that we're actually going to have to talk to people, possibly about our faith. You actually have the ability to baptize people. I love to do it. You can ask me to do it. I want to do it. I enjoy it. It's one of the neatest things I ever get to be a part of. So if you're uncomfortable, you can ask me, but I want to tell you right now, you have the authority and ability to baptize new believers, and I highly recommend that you walk in that authority. You don't have to wait. If you want to bring me in on it, I'm happy to help. It's one of my greatest joys in life, but that isn't a paid ministry of the church, baptism. 
Jesus. <laughs> and then the hard part, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, because that insinuates that we're walking in all the ways God commanded us. How difficult is that? If you rated yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 on how you're walking in all the ways God has commanded you, where on that continuum would you find yourself? I'm just curious if you thought about it like that and then realizing that it's not a continuum because God said all the ways I've commanded you. There's this very special thing within Christianity that seems to only exist in Christianity, although I'm not an expert on world religions, but I'd be willing to, to say this out loud. You can't earn your way into heaven. That's pretty unique to Christianity. You cannot earn your way into heaven. If you were to be perfect for the rest of your life, you cannot earn your way into heaven. Because Jesus already bought your way into heaven. You cannot earn it. Even if it were possible for you to earn it, you're a human being and you're not going to. Christ makes it incredibly possible for us to enter the kingdom of God simply because he was perfect and he was willing to die in our stead. And because of that, it's our faith in Jesus Christ and the saving power of Jesus Christ that is our hope of getting into heaven. It's Christ's ability to forgive the sins that we've committed that gets us into heaven. It has nothing at all to do with your ability to do good works. Later in Scripture, we find that faith without works is dead. When Christ radically transforms your lives, you do good works, but that's out of love for Christ. It's not out of buying your admittance into heaven. Because Christ already paid that price. If you want to go to heaven... Talk to the one that bought your entrance. And that's Jesus. I want you to do good works. God wants you to do good works. Out of love. For him. Out of obedience to him. Out of walking in his way and in his will. All of us broken people are ruined we are complete shambles without Christ. Is that because Christianity makes life perfect? No, it doesn't. Because you're still a human being. And you're still wading through the same problems you had before, but now you have hope. And now you have direction. And now you have someone who said, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And we're when we're telling other people about Jesus, perhaps it's helpful just to tell them how much Jesus cares for them, what Jesus was willing to do for them, how much you, they matter to Jesus. Because no matter how within the grace of God you're walking and how well you're doing, because God does call us to do well, God calls us not to be sinful. God calls us to act righteously. That should be what we're all striving for. We should not be passive about our sinful nature. When I say things like that, I'm not trying to give you a license to sin. That's cheapening the grace of God. We do our best not to be sinners anymore. But when we're telling people about Jesus, perhaps it shouldn't be a list of things they're not allowed to do. Perhaps we start with what God is able to do and what Jesus has already done. And then when we see them struggling, we help them to carry their burdens. And they can find freedom from their issues because it's our sinfulness that gives us our issues simple example would be drunkenness. The Bible calls us to be sober-minded and vigilant. Do you know anyone who has spent a long period of time drunk whose life is better because of it? 
Has anyone ever made a great decision while they were drunk? Ever in the history of alcohol, has anyone ever made a wise decision while drinking? Could it be that when God tells us to be sober-minded and vigilant, when God tells us to be or it's not be lovers much wine, could it be that God cares greatly for what's good for us? And that this isn't just a rule and a slap on the wrist for those who don't follow, but it's because God cares very much for us and He wants us to do good things. He wants us to have good lives. I'm not trying to preach Scripture moralistically, but it's in here. When Christ tells us not to worship false gods, it's for our own benefit. When God tells us the love of money is the root of all evil, name one person that chases money their whole life that gets to take any of it with them. You might get a nicer casket, but that's not the same thing. It's all for naught. Every bit of wisdom in Scripture is because God loves us even if it seems horrible at the time or hard to deal with at the time. Sanctification is a painful process. That's when salvation is when you come to the saving grace in Jesus. Sanctification is how you spend the rest of your life trying to be more like Jesus. And that's difficult. And it can be painful and it can be absolutely worth it. Because it will be absolutely worth it. If you doubt me, find anyone in this church with gray hair, ask them if it's worth it. They've probably been doing this a little bit longer than we have. Ask them if it's worth it. Albert, you're north of 60. Is it worth it? Pauline, is it worth it? Alice? Merlin, is it worth it? All right, there you go. I'm under the impression that it's worth it. And even if I didn't have these people to tell me that, I have my own experience. I've seen what a wreck I can make of my life. I've seen the grace of God at work through other people, through the scriptures, through waking up and not wishing that I hadn't. God has given me so much that I can never earn. And that, that I don't want to say that extends beyond heaven. Heaven is amazing. I'm going. In this life, this sliver of eternity we're already in, I have so much that I could have never earned. I have so much that I wouldn't have even dared to pray for. I'm not talking about material things either. Because most of the material things just cause me stress. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, buy a horse. Or two. Material items will cause stress. I'm just teasing. They bring me a lot of joy too. They do. They actually do. But um, things like cars, a house, all of these things. I didn't earn this. I'm the father of a very brilliant person. I didn't earn that. My daughter reads better than I do. That was one of the things I was really terrified of, is is she going to be dyslexic like I am? Not that it's the end of the world, but, you know. Her mom basically speed reads. It's crazy. She could read faster and more fluently than I could when she was in first grade. That is a blessing and a gift, and it's something I couldn't even earn, something I wouldn't have even dared to pray for. I'm also talking about a 13-year-old in front of her, so I should probably stop. I hope you didn't get too distracted by me admitting I hate or I love bad cinema. Because that really wasn't the point of today. 
okay? The point of today is that God finds us in our brokenness, not with a list of things, not with a list of reasons why we're unacceptable, but the only one reason why we are is because Jesus thought you were worth dying for. And you will never look into the eyes of someone Jesus was not willing to die for. And that is our starting point. Each and every one of us, that is our starting point. And as you go along in your Christian life, the Holy Spirit may convict you to stop doing things for your betterment so you can grow closer to Him. If you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for the amazing grace that you extend us through your son, Jesus. Father, I thank you.